coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Dr. Benjamin Bickman. It's not that the estrogens are promoting the fat storage. It's going to be insulin and energy. So this is where the calorie idea is relevant. But too many people try to tease that apart. They try to tease those two apart apart as if they're at odds. Essentially, um, if there's sufficient insulin and energy to tell the body to store fat, well, then estrogens are telling it how and where to store gluteofemoral or button hips and do it through hyperplasia, which is a nice way to get fat because it means that you stay very insulin sensitive but it also means you end up storing more and more and more fat because if you can always make a few more cells then there's always more room uh, for fat storage. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Thank you for pressing play today. We have quite the episode for you. You probably know him, Dr. Benjamin Bickman. This is actually the fifth time I've interviewed Dr. Benjamin Bickman. I asked him if this is the most time somebody has ever interviewed him, and he said yes, which is pretty cool. I'm grateful to be the one who interviewed him the most. Uh, besides his wife, he said. <laughs> On this episode, you're going to learn a lot about insulin, calories in versus calories out, the insulin, estrogen, fat storage connection, the insulin, cancer connection. We're going to dive deep into vegetable oils, omega-6 PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and sugar. And we have a friendly conversation slash debate on what is worse for you what will contribute to, to disease faster, consuming vegetable oils or consuming a high-carbohydrate diet and keeping insulin up all the time? So you'll hear that conversation and that back and forth. It was absolutely great. This episode is taken from the last keto challenge we did. It was only available to those who enrolled into that challenge, and this is the first time we were, are releasing this to the public. And you get to listen to the full episode right now today on the Keto Camp Podcast, as this is the first time we're releasing it to the public, you're going to hear about a little bit of his backstory as well, why he decided to put so much energy and bandwidth into studying insulin and all the aha moments he had along the way. We have some of the VIP Keto Challenge members who hopped on the conversation to ask Dr. Benjamin Bickman questions as well. You'll get to hear that at the end. It's a lot of fun. I encourage you to uh, really pay attention here, take notes. This is a life-changing conversation, especially if you have type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance. Uh, let's face it, 88% of Americans have some sort of metabolic dysfunction. We talk about that. If you could really take control 
and optimize your glucose and insulin levels, you your future self is going to thank you for it. And this episode is all about that. We have a new seven-day keto challenge coming up starting on January 3rd, 2022, and it's going to be running until January 10th, 2022, Monday to Monday. This is a free seven-day challenge, and I encourage you to register for this challenge. It is free unless you upgrade, and what we're going to do for seven days is guide you on how to do keto and fasting the right way. We have special confirmed speakers, Dr. David Jockers is a confirmed speaker. Megan Ramos, you know who she is. She works closely with Dr. Jason Fung. She's a confirmed speaker. Cynthia Thurlow, my awesome friend, Cynthia Thurlow is a confirmed speaker. And I'll be running the show every live stream. I will be hosting it along with Alina from the Keto Camp team. It's going to be seven days of information that's going to change your life with action steps at the end of every single day. How it works is we go live in the Facebook group for an hour and a half every day for seven days in a row, and we offer you amazing information, actionable steps, and we are going to be giving away over $7,000 in free prizes. You could win a one-year membership to my Keto Camp Academy, which is our premier online keto and fasting program. We're gonna be giving away six months worth of coffee from Purity Coffee. We're going to be giving away a Paleo Valley bundle, actually two of those worth over $600. We're gonna be giving away keto protein bars from Keto Crisp. We're going to be giving away a lot of cool things. So all you have to do to qualify for those free gifts is to register and join those live streams and you could win a lot of cool things along with amazing information. So head to ketocampchallenge.com to register your free spot. You'll have an opportunity to upgrade your membership. We are offering a starter kit and a VIP membership. So that might be something you want to consider. But head to the link. We're going to put the link in the podcast notes right at the top or head to ketocampchallenge.com. Let's make sure we start 2022 with some amazing momentum. And I want to show you the way. So hopefully you are taking action or you have already taken action. And I'll see you on January 3rd. Before I bring Dr. Bickman on, I want to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Shatzam, titled, Brilliant and Informative. I found Ben slash Keto Camp about three months into my keto journey. I love his style of information giving. Always interesting and always engaging. I actually have a folder in my photo gallery of screenshots from Ben's writings. He offers so much information regarding nutrition and how the body really works. I refer to his teachings as a great resource for enlightenment and clarity on many subjects related to health and well-being. That is awesome. I love the idea of having a photo gallery with some of my writings. Good job. Uh, I'm so grateful that you're listening and you're enjoying the information and hopefully it's making a big difference for you and helping you get healthier and happier and just uh, helping every area of your life, which is our goal here at Keto Camp. So thank you so much. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast, a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. And let's get into this conversation now with Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Many of you know who he is. He is the master of insulin, the master of the metabolism. He specializes in insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes. He is going to explain why insulin is the hormonal bully of the block, the insulin cancer connection, how to reverse insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Yes, it can absolutely be done. And some of you have already done that or are on your way to doing that. 
why ancient healing strategies such as ketosis and fasting are key for healing your body. Benjamin Bickman, PhD, is among the world's most foremost scientists on metabolic health and insulin resistance. Dr. Bickman has a PhD in bioenergetics and a postdoctoral fellowship with the Duke National University of Singapore in metabolic disorders. He, is currently, he currently explores the contrasting roles of insulin and ketones as key drivers of metabolic function. Dr. Bickman frequently publishes his research in peer-reviewed journals, presents at science meetings, and is internationally recognized as a leading scientist based on his expertise in insulin resistance and hormonal dis, or excuse me, metabolic disorders. So without further ado, here is the man of the hour, Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Hey, Ben. Hey, brother. Good to be here. Good to see you as usual. Good to see you. I was asking you before we hit record here that uh, this is my fifth time interviewing you, which is such a blessing. And I asked you if anybody else has interviewed you that many times and you said only your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, Ben, I wouldn't rather do this with anybody else. This is always time well spent. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, so we're all excited to have you here, Dr. Bickman. You're doing such incredible work. You have Why We Get Sick, which is a great book. We'll post a link for it uh, for everybody to get your book. I want to start with uh, maybe a little bit of a backstory for those who don't really uh, have heard your story. But why did you decide to dedicate your research and so much bandwidth to the role of insulin? Yeah, that's a great question. In, uh, in fact, it's one that's been on my mind. I just had a conversation yesterday with a young student who's at that crisis of cross crossroads. He's married uh, here at, at BYU and just really, uh, just like it did for me 20-some uh, years ago, uh, almost exact, a little over 20 years ago, actually, uh, where I had just gotten married and then I thought uh, I was becoming overwhelmed with the future burden of being a provider, a husband and a father to a future family um, with my dear sweet wife. Uh, and uh, that, as a young man, uh, as an undergraduate, was a crushing anxiety for me. And uh, frankly, I'll, I can I feel like I could be this honest in this kind of audience. I, I'm very religious, and so I, I, I prayed a great deal, and I took a lot of time to be quiet and thoughtful and try to get any kind of nudge from the heavens, if you will, that I could, thinking that if this is something that's important to me, it'll be important to my to God, and, and thought, I need a little nudge. And, and it was a clear, uh, one of the clearest impressions I believe I've ever received. And it was to go speak to a specific professor, ask about the graduate degree. And during that master's degree, where I, I literally took the GRE that weekend, because I was already late, the graduate record exam, and then applied months after the deadline and got in. Um, I, during that master's degree, I stumbled across one manuscript that detailed, that put me on the course I'm on to this day. And they revealed, this was the first group to ever reveal that fat cells secrete pro-inflammatory proteins called cytokines. And that it was this fat cell induced inflammation that was causing insulin resistance. And that was the link, that was the, the apparent link between these twin epidemics of obesity and diabetes that of course are even more relevant today, all the more relevant in the midst of this viral pandemic, um, which appears to really be a disease of pre-existing conditions. Um, but nevertheless, that firmly planted my feet on the soil of, of inflammation and insulin resistance that I, uh, on that path, and I've continued to walk it uh, for these 20 years now. 
Mm, it's amazing how how uh, how God how the way yeah. God works. It's just it's it's incredible, and we're all blessed because of that path you took. Uh, you've been a tremendous leader in this space, a trailblazer, and you still continue to to do so. You're you're never saying the science is settled. I know you have uh, an oh, issue gosh. with that term. You're I always- do. <laughs> Yeah, don't trigger me. Don't trigger me, Ben. Um, yeah, it's I, all I tell you. Whenever I see a yard sign these days, it's like in this home we believe in all these silly platitudes, and one of them is we believe in science. And I just tell my kids when they're in the car with me, because if the kids are in the car, I I'm talking with them. That's just sort of the family rule. There may be some music or something, but it's quiet and we're talking. And so I'll use that as an opportunity just to explain uh, to explain the the fault in that thinking that. You don't believe in science. In fact, if anything, you don't believe it. You should be challenging it. You should be very cynical and skeptical about what so-called experts, myself included, are telling anyone. Science is a living, breathing thing, and it represents the never-ending pursuit of truth. And that means at any moment we have to be prepared to step away from what we thought we knew in this physical realm because we see data that suggests that was false and we need to pivot. Yeah, well said. I'm 100% with you. Now, speaking about insulin resistance, it's estimated that about 88% of Americans are metabolically inflexible. Why is that? Why is it such a high percentage? And what is the role of insulin resistance in that percentage? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I would say I'll answer that latter part first. Insulin resistance is all of it. So that study defined um, in, in fact, the exact quote from that study was alarmingly low levels of, of good metabolic health. And alarmingly low was defined by having one, at least one of the five criteria that, uh, that constitute the metabolic syndrome. Well, the metabolic syndrome used to have a better name, namely the insulin resistance syndrome. I say better because it's more descriptive. If, I, if you tell someone you have metabolic syndrome, they, they think, well, what the hell does that mean? Uh, metabolic what? I mean, what do I do about it? It doesn't actually reveal the heart of the problem. Insulin resistance syndrome that's a name we can get behind because it is directly telling you what's at the heart. What is the root cause of these disorders? So all the constellation of problems that we call the syndrome, they're actually all manifestations of one thing. In this case, it's insulin resistance. Now, why we've gotten to this point, why it is so prevalent, um, is has everything to do with the way we live. And, and, and what I like to refer to as these plagues of prosperity. These are disorders that our ancestors would have never known. Now, unfortunately, they died from infections or, or starvation or injuries because they didn't have the modern technologies that we do. But these, with all of our prosperity, and in, uh, in fact, at the risk of being political, this is one of the consequences of capitalism where capitalism is so good at enriching people and improving people's lives and the quality of their lives that now we're suffering maybe the one consequence of it, which is that we have too much mm-hmm. and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to deny ourselves. Um, we don't have the discipline in many instances to adhere to a rigid schedule um, you know, where, where we can stay up late and entertain ourselves well into the evening and, and be eating well into the evening. So I would maybe to sum that up more succinctly than what I'm doing, it's that we're eating the wrong things and we're eating them too often. Would you explain the role of how insulin actually causes the body to store fat? And yeah. to my understanding, Dr. Bickman, there's over uh, 600 hormones in the body that at least that we know of. Um, 
but are there any other hormones besides insulin that actually cause the body to store fat that don't work with insulin or is insulin the only fat storage hormone in the body? Yeah, well, Ben, you added a very, very important caveat at the end of what you just said. There are hormones that will induce fat growth, but they even still will utilize insulin to help it. Like, for example, progesterone. Progesterone, or the hormone of gestation, or the hormone of pregnancy, that will, in fact, induce weight gain, but it does so by basically leveraging insulin. It kind of strong arms insulin into taking it to the dance at the fat cell, telling mm -hmm. the fat cell to grow. Um, other hormones are mistakenly thought to be pro-fat growth, like say the estrogens. Estrogens are actually lipolytic. They actually help keep fat from going too far. But the interesting thing with estrogens is that they tell the body where and how to store fat, but not how much. By that, I mean estrogens will signal fat growth at breasts and hips or butt and hips, especially that the, the back fat um, fold or, or fat pocket, which what is called the gluteofemoral fat pad, which is the butt and hips on a woman. Interestingly, estrogens will promote the proliferation or the hyperplasia of fat cells, which is why a woman can store such a hearty amount of fat there. But it's not that the estrogens are promoting the fat storage. It's going to be insulin and energy. So this is where the calorie idea is relevant. Um, but too many people try to tease that apart. They try to tease those two apart, apart as if they're at odds. And we can talk about that more if you'd like. But essentially, um, if there's sufficient insulin and energy to tell the body to store fat, well, then estrogens are telling it how and where to store gluteofemoral or button hips and do it through hyperplasia, which is a nice way to get fat because it means that you stay very insulin sensitive, but it also means you end up storing more and more and more fat because if you can always make a few more cells, then there's always more room uh, for fat storage. Well explained. So there's not any other hormone in the body that will cause fat storage unless it's working with insulin is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely true. And, and indeed, uh, Ben, in my lab, <clears throat> when we're growing fat cells, you cannot actually make them into fat cells until you've spiked insulin into the little culture broth, mm. what we call the culture medium. It cannot happen. You cannot signal a fat cell to store fat unless insulin is present, indeed, at an, at an elevated level. Right. Yeah, that's why I call insulin the, the hormonal bully of the block. <laughs> yep. And I know you agree with that. I do. I, I do want to get into that conversation of the calories in versus calories out. I know both of us align with this. We're not denying calories. We, we do think they matter, but uh, they're not the most important picture. I'm sure you've seen people in our space, especially the fitness space, um, really come at guys like you and I or, or, yeah. or women like you and I when we talk about not focusing on calories. I've seen it even recently with uh, a PhD from, I'm not going to say his name, but a PhD from Florida. And I, I did a video on my TikTok channel. It was a 35 second video where I talked about when you eat every two to three hours, like the average American is doing, eventually that's going to age you faster and lead to insulin resistance and potentially diabetes. And then this gentleman, the PhD guy, he saw the video because it had millions of views. And then he created a, a rebuttal to it, did a YouTube video on it. And he essentially said that, um, it's not true. You could eat every two to three hours. You know, if you're active and burning it off, um, it's not going to be an issue. And there is some truth to that. And I want to hear your advice about yeah. that. But I'm speaking to the average American who's sedentary doing that every two to three hours. They're spiking insulin. 
Is there a problem if you're not burning it off? Will that lead to insulin resistance? Yep, yep. So, Ben, um, it's sure it's not enjoyable when people come at you, is it? And we all know what that feels like. Um, so good for you for taking those fiery darts and and keeping the shield up uh, and defending some of these ideas. Um, I'm right there with you. Now, <clears throat> first of all, uh, it is. I think it is unnatural, and and I, I'm using that word a little liberally because I'm a scientist and and I'm kind of speculating and philosophizing at the moment. But there there can be no question that in all of human existence there would have been only brief slivers of time in our entire existence where we would have been able to eat every two hours. I would say this is something we are not well adapted to. Now, having said that, I think the way we can reconcile this is by simply conceding um, that what we eat matters more than how often. In fact, if I were to put a hierarchy, now I'm thinking about this in real time, I would say the composition of the foods matters more and then the frequency matters second. Because if we had someone, Ben, who's, who's snacking is they eat two hard-boiled eggs, well, you're fine. That's not going to be a problem. Or if your snack is, um, I don't know what else, a, a couple pieces of like these little sausage links that I like to keep around, these little Duke sausage links or whatever they may be. That's not going to be a problem, you know, or some bacon. That's going to be fine. But that's not what people snack on. People are snacking on these refined carbs, which is refined sugars and starches, and often, always, with refined oils. That's the problem. Because we know that as much as people want to vehemently argue that it's only about the strict laws of thermodynamics, it doesn't play out in humans. It doesn't play out, or in mammals. There was a very well-controlled study in animals where every single aspect of the animal's life was totally controlled, unlike anything you could do in humans. We knew exactly what they were eating and exactly how much energy they were expending every moment of their little lives. And they were fed isocaloric diets whose composition differed only in the type of fat they were eating. But they were all fairly high carb, but different types of fats. Well, the animals that got the soybean oil as their as their fat, but again, in the presence of hot, of the starches that the animals naturally eat, they were significantly fatter than the other animals, getting the exact same number of calories, but from a different fat source. That, and, and there are other instances of of it playing out like this. To uh, he, here's a bold statement. <clears throat> um, Calories count, but counting them is pointless. Um, and, and invoking the laws of thermodynamics in nutrition and assigning food caloric value, I think was one of the biggest mistakes we made in the realm of nutrition. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that calories are irrelevant, but our obsessive focus on calories, I believe, is wholly at fault for putting us in the dietary um, disaster that we find ourselves in. Our fear of calories has led to a fear of fat, namely natural fats like saturated fats that come from animals and the fruit fats, coconuts, avocados, olives. Um, well, sorry, coconut, actually, not the other two. Um, but that, that has led us to an unnatural pattern of eating because as, as everyone knows, we vilified these fats. We ended up with high refined starch foods. And now, wouldn't you know it, we've ended up embracing fats again 
uh, but now they're coming from um, refined seed oils. Um, well, not embracing them. We've allowed them to creep back in um, a lot of these processed foods, which is why I'm so adamant that if you're eating your, your carbs from a bag or a box with a barcode, it's going to be the worst way to do it because it'll be refined yeah. starch and a refined oil. But just maybe one last brief um, thought, Ben, because I know I'm um, spending too much time on this. Uh, you so there's always this there's this debate of of um, thermodynamics or calories uh, versus uh, hormones like insulin. Well, insulin specifically. We on the insulin side are not saying that thermodynamics are irrelevant, but those who dogmatically adhere to thermodynamics have an impossible struggle because you cannot. So we could take a food. Ben, and we could take it to the lab and burn it and measure the energy that's coming from the moment we, we ignite it, if you will. And that would give us, that would help us understand the caloric value that that food contains. And then the, the great mistake is that assuming that because in its perfect in controlled environment in the laboratory, this has this much potential energy that we define as a calorie, that it's going to have that exact much energy when it goes into our bodies. That's myth number one. It's the myth that there is a perfect uh, transition of caloric value in food to calorie caloric energy in the human body. But that fails to account for the caloric expense of digesting and absorbing and the caloric expense of doing something with those molecules in the body at all. Um, there, there's, a, there's a metabolic cost to all of this. So we can never perfectly account for the calories that are going in and we can never, not even close, perfectly account, I mean, in real-world settings, for the calories coming out. Because it's more than just what we can measure in our breath and our heart rate and even our body temperature. Because if, as your group knows, I know, um, if you're in ketosis, you are literally breathing out and urinating out caloric value in the form of ketones. Ketones are an energetic molecule that have the same number of calories as glucose does. And we are simply emitting those from our body. And those don't get included in the equation. Mm. And so I very much appreciate the laws of thermodynamics. Um, if I may brag, that's my PhD in bioenergetics. It's to understand energy in organisms. I appreciate the laws of thermodynamics, which is why I know we're so flawed in how we apply them. Thermodynamics works in the, op in, the, in the closed system of the universe. And I mean that literally. Where within the universe, there's a finite amount of energy, we believe, as we understand it. And so that is why the energy must be accounted for in one way or another. The human body is not a closed system. And these are very specific terms that I'm using in the realm of thermodynamics. The universe is a closed system. There's no getting out of it. The body is an open system. There is open exchange with the environment. And that is why we're doomed. If a weight loss uh, journey starts with the first step being a focus on low calorie, you're doomed because hunger will win. If the weight loss journey starts with low insulin, then you'll be successful because then the energy part will take care of itself. Well said. Absolutely well said. I think it's important for everybody watching to understand that. And it is a red flag when I see somebody focusing on calories. It's a huge red flag. I remember Gary Tobbs, who is a mutual friend of both of ours. He was sharing a few years ago that if there's a, a coach or a doctor or a nutritionist, dietitian who's teaching you this calories in, calories out model, they're doing you a big disservice. And he compared it to showing up to a seminar, let's say Warren Buffett, one of the world's richest men, 
was doing a seminar on wealth building and you show up and he's giving his lecture and you raise your hand and ask a question and say, Warren, how do I get rich like you? And he says, well, just earn more than you spend. And then he just yeah. closes his mouth. It's like, okay, but that's not enough yeah. information, yeah. right? Yeah, you'd say thanks for nothing. <laughs> thanks for nothing. Same thing with the calories in versus calories out approach. I do want to transition and talk more about the vegetable oils. Before I do, those watching who are VIP members, we emailed you a StreamYard link this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, in a few minutes, probably 20 minutes or so, we're going to open it up to Q&A for the VIP members. So check your email, and then I'll see you in the back-end studio, and I could bring you on here, or you could post it on the community tab. It's a great opportunity to ask Dr. Bickman your question. And then soon, we're also going to be giving away the, the bags. But let's, uh, let's continue this conversation. Um, there's something that I think we disagree on that I want to talk to you about. So you were on my great friend, Dr. Mindy Pelt's podcast recently. She's coming on tomorrow for the challenge. And she asked you, what do you think is worse, consuming high sugar diet or the vegetable oils? And you admitted, hey, you're, you're kind of biased because you're the insulin guy. And you felt that a high carbohydrate diet is probably worse than industrial seed oils. Now, it's kind of hard to eat a high carbohydrate diet without the industrial seed oils. But let's say hypothetically, I, I think this, and I wanna hear if you agree or disagree. I think somebody is better off eating a high carbohydrate diet without the vegetable oils who's active versus doing a ketogenic diet with a lot of vegetable oils. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, it's. I bet I would answer that question differently every day of the week. Um, uh, I, I kind of waver on it so much. Uh, what you just said, I agree with. Um, a high-carb diet. Wow. Um, what you just said, I agree with. A high-carb diet with low seed oils would be better than a ketogenic diet where the fat is primarily soybean oil. I think that's accurate to say. Because um, even in the ketogenic diet, if the person's losing a lot of weight, I would argue they're not going to be very uh, particularly healthy. Um but that's not quite the same as, you know, a high-carb diet can mean a lot of things. In some instances, it can mean a, a good thing, you know, well, or at least a, a well-done thing, um, although there are better. Uh, but I think the heart of it would be what type of carbohydrate is this? Uh, but it might be a false um, division here because, like you said, if you're eating a high carb diet, you end up eating the fats you're going to be getting from those processed carbs are going to be from seed oils. So it really is, I think, the confluence of the two. And our efforts to try to tease the two apart just don't work because in reality, they just come together. Um, now, in favor of your view, I would say uh, the body can deal with sugar in, in amount. We know what to do with sugar as it gets converted to glucose and fructose. Now the high fructose becomes a problem for the liver potentially, but the incredible amounts of seed oils that we're eating, I think it's easy to surpass the body's ability to know what to do with them because while linoleic acid appears to be an essential fat, that doesn't mean we need a lot of it. Indeed, we would need very, very little of it to meet whatever the essential role of them uh, of it is. So, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, Ben, uh, I'm not really giving an answer. Um, well, no, I, it's, a, I, I it's, think... hard, it's, it's so hard to give an answer because it's like hypotheticals. And, yeah. You know. yeah, and we're teasing apart two things that in, in practice don't get teased apart. Correct. Because when the person is 
eating high seed oils, it's because they're eating something that has had the seed oils baked into it, or it's, it's used it as the frying oil, and that's always a, a refined starch. It's something sugary or, or with white flour in it. That's what the seed oil has been added to in one way or another. Right. But okay, let's talk more about the seed oils. We we talked about this. If you missed session one, uh, we went deep dive. I went into some research and what it does to the mitochondria, what it does to increase uh, risk of heart disease, even diabetes. Uh, and we talked about the seed oil. So it's canola oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower, sunflower oil, uh, rice bran oil and grapeseed oil. Those are what Dr. Kate Shanahan calls the, the hateful eight. And Dr. K. Shanahan estimates that 30 to 40% of our total calories in America come from these bad fats. I would estimate, and I think you would agree, Dr. Bickman, that it's probably higher with those doing keto because not a lot of people determine good fats versus bad fats. What role do these industrial seed oils play with the development of insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, uh, I very much consider linoleic acid to be a secondary cause of insulin resistance. By that I mean, <clears throat> in fact let me define that in the context of the primary causes. So the primary causes, elevated insulin, stress, and inflammation, you can cause insulin resistance with, with those three, each on their own. They don't have to come in concert. You can take either of those three any of the three and then if you treat dump them put it on cells the cells become insulin resistant put them in animals the animals become insulin resistant put them in humans and they become insulin resistant there are th all three of those biomedical models cells rodents and humans can you can induce insulin resistance with elevated insulin stress and inflammation so that's why I call them primary causes in contrast if you take linoleic acid and incubate it in the cell culture medium and, and test the insulin signaling, they're not insulin sensitive. If you infuse linoleic acid, well depending on how much, anyway, as you move up the models, linoleic acid is not directly causing insulin resistance like it is in the with the other three. But that's not overly fair because all those are acute settings with the primary causes. And I think the relevance of linoleic acid and insulin resistance, why I call it a secondary cause, is because of what it does to fat cells. And then once the fat cells have changed, now you've caused insulin resistance. So if you in and, and this is relevant in the whole body, in the in the human we know that we are eating thousands of times more linoleic acid than we have in the last hundred years. Like I think it's 56,000 times more. Where in the early 1900s we were getting some fats from cottonseed oil, but very, very little, very rarely. And then of course um, in the 70s or, or, or actually earlier, 60s or so, with the growing fear of saturated fat came an explosion in alternatives, and that's really when soybean oil came on the scene in a very, very big way and has continued to be the, you know, the leading star of this tragedy. Uh, uh, but, but now, with the, with the excessive consumption of the seed oils, these seed oils get enriched in our fat cells. We, we know that happens. And then they become uh, this... Uh, how can I, how do I want to explain this? Every fat has two fates. 
actually there there are more but I'll only talk about two at the moment um, one of them is oxidation and, and I'm gonna use these words very very carefully or I'll be even clearer beta oxidation every fat can undergo beta oxidation of these types of fats that we've talked in the diet beta oxidation is when the body will burn the fat for energy yes even linoleic acid gets burned in fact it gets burned very very high in fact the brain cells have the capacity to beta oxidize linoleic acid and it makes its own its own ketones from it isn't that mind-blowing so the brain burns linoleic acid at such an incredibly high rate when it's available that it uses it to make its own ketones that sounds that, like a good that sounds like a good thing it does uh, it does and so that's why i'm a little nuanced and wanting to just you know i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. linoleic acid is not always a villain it's just which pathway it goes down and, and I'll, I'll elaborate on how to help it go down one or the other uh, but we have a fat that can go down beta oxidation which is when it's burned for energy that's a wonderful thing it's always a good thing to burn fat on the other side we have the peroxidation pathway where a fat becomes a lipid peroxide and the more double bonds a fat has the more likely it gets tipped into the peroxidation pathway because it just is so easy for it to slip down that pathway in contrast a saturated fat like palmitate the most common saturated fat we eat it is very difficult for it to go down the peroxidation pathway in fact in biological conditions like us eating some beef and the palmitate that's in that beef it can't go down peroxidation it has to be heated at a very high temperature for it to be forced down peroxidation that's why I'm such an advocate one of the many reasons why I'm such an advocate of beta oxid or of saturated fats because it only goes down the beta oxidation route and the peroxidation is foreclosed to it but again the more unsaturated like linoleic acid the more readily it can go down that pathway importantly and, and that's a problem in fact let me, I'll finish that thought if we send linoleic acid down the peroxidation pathway it starts to become these very damaging molecules one of them is 4HNE which mm -hmm. I know you've had Kate Shanahan on here you I know you've heard about everyone's heard about this yep now to take it back to the fat cell in my area of expertise when a fat cell is accumulating 4HNE it cannot undergo hyperplasia, which is a healthy way for fat tissue to grow. It can also, if there's a pressure for fat to grow, like high insulin and available energy, um, then the body is telling the fat tissue, store fat, store fat, store fat. And then if the fat cells have accumulated 4-HNE, they now can only get fat through hypertrophy hypertrophy is insulin resistance and hypoxia and so the fat cell has become insulin resistant and pro-inflammatory and that of course starts to spill the insulin resistance throughout the rest of the body so all of that is my defense of saying linoleic acid is a secondary cause now linoleic acid is very very likely relevant in any number of other pathological conditions I just don't study all of those conditions I study fat cells and metabolic problems and so I stick to what I know because the danger nowadays is scientists who think they know more than they actually do I'm not one of those guys I know what I know and I'll stick to I'll play in my lane but having said all of this I think there's uh, a takeaway um, where if um, one linoleic acid maybe a couple linoleic acid is in every animal source of fat you cannot avoid it literally every animal fat which I am a huge advocate of will contain linoleic acid of course it's very modest amounts but very importantly every natural source of linoleic acid will also contain natural antioxidants like vitamin E and vitamin E is known to block 
the peroxidation pathway. And so if you're eating that linoleic acid with the natural antioxidants that come with it, like in every animal fat on the planet, then it, you've basically closed off the linole the, the peroxidation the beta prox uh, sorry the peroxidation pathway and you've pushed the fat down well either well the other pathways that I'm not mentioning which are fine or the beta oxidation pathway where it's simply burned for energy so in other words you're allowing that linoleic acid to do what what the cell needs it to do become structural components or get burned for for energy rather than what it does not need it to do which is become a lipid peroxide which is going to be promoting the unhealthy growth of fat cells it'll very likely be promoting atherosclerosis as well there are so many research benefits to having good fat in your diet we love keto this is the keto camp podcast but there is just one little problem with increasing your healthy fats if you can't properly digest the fat in your diet, you won't feel good. You'll say this keto diet didn't work for me and you will not be able to experience the incredible benefits of ketosis. And a lot of people lack the one key nutrient needed to digest fat. Think about all the healthy fats most people and probably you because you're doing keto eat on a daily or weekly basis. Butter, avocados, olive oil, MCT oil, meats, nuts. I could go on and on. Without this special nutrient, the fat just sits in your stomach and creates a traffic jam, which causes you to feel sluggish, low energy, and more likely for your calories to turn into fat. Because this critical nutrient is key to breaking down fat and making it usable by your body. Without sufficient levels, undigested fats pass through your GI tract, where they can produce greasy, fatty stools, constipation, and fatty liver. What's the solution? It's a breakthrough new digestive product called Capex. This product comes from the same company that brought you Masszymes, P3OM, and many more amazing products from the company Bioptimizers. Capex is designed to rev up your cellular metabolism, which boosts your energy and capacity to burn fat as fuel. Combined with a solid diet and a workout plan, this combination of nutrients delivers a powerful boost in your ability to shed weight and reach your body composition goals. Capex upgrades the way your body and cells function and is precisely formulated to help your body rewire itself in these three key ways. First of all, every ingredient performs a critical role. Secondly, Capex also gives you focused energy and drive for six to 10 hours from the time you take it. So don't take it after 5 p.m. if you wanna sleep at night. Last but not least, they've included a patented ingredient called InnoSlim to increase the formula's ability to help burn fatty acids by 100% in the mitochondria. The mitochondria are the energy factories of the cell. They act like a mini digestive system which takes in nutrients, breaks them down, and creates energy-rich molecules for your cells to use. Simply stated, Capex breaks your dietary fat into fatty acids and then burns them up at a highly accelerated rate as fuel. Energy-wise, Capex is like upgrading your car's engine to V12 500 horsepower beast and then switching the fuel from gas to nitro because your mitochondria gets bigger and stronger and you're feeding them the more powerful fuel. It's easily the most potent, non-stimulant-based energy product I've personally taken. I highly suggest trying it out for yourself when you go to www.kenergize.com 
slash KetoCamp. That's www.kenergize.com forward slash KetoCamp. You're automatically going to get 10% off any package of KPEX with the coupon code KetoCamp10. All one word. That's Kenergize.com slash KetoCamp. We will also drop a link for you in the show notes down below. Let's get back to this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. That was such a brilliant explanation. Those watching, you might need to rewatch this a couple times. I'm personally going to go and rewatch this a couple times. That's why Dr. Kate Shanahan always says, "Poofas go poof." Right? The way you explain it, it attracts oxygen. The double, the conjugated double bonds that are closely uh, next to each other attracts oxygen, which makes it go down the pa- that pathway. What's the pathway that it, that you referenced again? Yep, yep, yep. peroxidation. The peroxidation, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why, Dr. Bickman, I, I, for years I've been saying I'm not a fan of fish oil because fish oil actually has even more double bonds, even higher than linoleic acid. I'm looking at my notes here from yep, Dr. Bickman. Yep, yep, omega-3. Yep, that's the, that's the un- inconvenient truth to all this, Ben. Omega-3s can go that same route as well, which is why if someone wants to get omega-3, make sure you're getting it from as whole a source like a, a cod liver oil or something like that, where it's not just refined omega-3, it's actually a more um, full encompassing oil, because then it will contain other oils in it, like um, vitamin E. But here's the issue. People, they'll find a high-quality fish oil, like cod liver oil, or, or just a company who does it the right way. It's not oxidized. It's really, really good. But then they get too much omega-3 in them, meaning EPA and DHA, on average, from what I've researched, maybe you've read differently, the brain requires about 7.2 milligrams of EPA and DHA on average on a daily basis. One capsule of fish oil is 1,000 milligrams, yeah. and people are taking two to three. They're getting this physiological overdose of fish oil, which I've seen from research, it'll take antioxidants away to deal with that. So do you see an issue with this omega-3 overdose? I do. Uh, I absolutely do. For the very reasons we've mentioned, uh, that, that I think that's one of the inconvenient truths where we always bag on linoleic acid, but the omega-3s can go the same, can go the same way. Uh, and I think we overdo it. I would say the only time it is warranted to take high levels of omega-3 is when someone is in active hypertrophy, like if they're bodybuilding, because there's good evidence, very real evidence in humans to show that high omega-3 supplementation on a period, a periodized or cyclical manner in the midst of hypertrophy training um, ex- uh, accelerates muscle hypertrophy. Um, and that just touches on the fact that PUFAs are part of cell structures and so if you're trying to grow fat cell or muscle cells i mean you need as much as we have protein growing within the cell which is providing the hypertrophy you need more and more fats on the growing surface of the cell membrane to keep the membrane intact so i I think that'd be the only time it's warranted so that's that's why i don't recommend fish oil i I just say eat the fish Um, the body could actually make its own epa and dha from parent essential oil so i recommend those i take a a product that helps with that um the the bottom line is this because i don't want to confuse those watching we're talking about fish oil linoleic acid vegetable oils the body is amazing and if you have small amounts of any of these but you're doing so many things good the body can deal with it and it's not going to cause you harm. The issue is when you're getting a lot of these bad fats in your diet, which a lot of people on keto are doing. So we're not saying you have to avoid this 100%. The body could adapt to it. There could be a hermetic response. 
The goal is to limit them and have more saturated fats and monounsaturated fats and eat more fish, take less fish oil. Would you agree with that statement? Yep. Well said. Totally. Uh, I want to get to the winners. Um, so we're, we're going to do this because we have about 18 minutes to go. I want to get to, we're going to do a giveaway right now. We're going to announce three winners. And then I'm going to ask you the question, how can we use a healthy ketogenic approach to reverse insulin resistance and diabetes? And then we'll get to the Q&A. So Dr. Bickman, explain this amazing shake here, your yeah. amazing product. Why did you decide to... Uh, Create this, what, like what goes into the ingredients, like what your standards are very high. Like talk a little bit more about this and we'll give away six bags. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be brief um, because I know some people get uncomfortable when scientists um, are entrepreneurial. <laughs> uh, so frankly, I, I have a big family and I, my family is everything to me. They're my best friends. And two of my brothers and I, my two, older, two of my older brothers, I have a lot. I have seven older brothers. Two of my older brothers um, – had had time and, and means and one in particular had a lot of experience in the supplement space and I had been telling him for years I was saying Joel let's just make a damn meal replacement shake I got some great ideas and he was always too busy and he never did it you know that's the consequence of being the youngest brother right no one ever no one ever listens to you and so I eventually uh, about two years ago he he said Ben I, this is it's time we got it and I said well we're a little late. Um, but let's do it anyway because the space had gotten a little crowded. But this is a small family business, and when, when when Joel and Sam and I were putting it together, Joel was clear said, "Ben, make make the shake. You kind of go behind it." And I wanted to buck the trend of other low carb shakes, which was just basically just fat oils. It's just MCT powder and nothing else. I wanted it to be a one-to-one -one balance of fat to protein. That is the foundation of of the health code shake, and it's that is very deliberate because in human studies. It's been known, it, we, it, we've, we, know, we know that protein alone doesn't get digested as well on its own, and it is less hypertrophic. In other words, it will induce less muscle growth compared to protein and fat. When you have fat with your protein, you will digest the protein better, and you will have greater hypertrophy. This is from human studies to confirm this. So I wanted that one-to-one -one ratio by mass of protein to fat, kind of like what's reflected in an egg. And that's why I like to joke that egg is God's perfectly packaged food. It's a one-to-one -one ratio of fat to protein. Um, so that was the basis of it. And then with regards to the proteins, it was all animal protein, 100%. We talked about it. My, my brother said, well, Ben, you sure we don't want to use plant protein? It's a lot cheaper, and it's uh, it allows us to be a more kind of vegan-friendly. And I said, I would love to be friendly to vegans, but that doesn't work. Plant proteins, plant proteins are inferior to animal protein in every every conceivable um, metric and so it's the best animal proteins and then it's matched with this broad range of fats and these will be my final comments on it i wanted to have a shake that was unique in that it had both long chain medium chain and short chain fatty acids um, because the shorter the fat gets the more highly burned it is it, it, burn, it burns at a higher rate and thus it's a little more ketogenic and the short chain fats are um in addition to being very metabolically friendly, uh, they also actually are fuel for gut bacteria. And that plays into some of the other things like the prebiotic fibers and the probiotics themselves. So a pretty all-encompassing shake. I, I love it. I'm very, very proud of it. But it's also just fun, Ben. For me, um, when you – this my final comment about it. Uh, w when you're a scientist who's studying – uh, metabolic questions and finding answers to these questions 
it's frustrating when you can't turn that into something practical. So my greatest gratification professionally, my greatest gratification is my wife and kids, but my professional gratification comes from finding answers to important questions and then translating those answers into solutions to real world problems. I love it's needed because so many companies don't do it the right way. And so I respect a company that has high standards and we know you do your research. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Dr. Bickman's going to help me select three winners to qualify. Number one, you need to be in the United States. Number two, um, make sure you grant StreamYard permission to Facebook so I could see your comment. There's a link in the description of this live stream. Just click that, click the blue button, boom, you're granted access. Question that I'm going to ask you guys as we go through your comments, uh, we're going to select three winners, is this. In one sentence, explain insulin resistance. So if you were in the elevator with somebody and you needed to educate them on insulin resistance in one sentence, what would you say for them to understand it? So that's going to be the question. As you put your answers, I'll, Alina, I'll, I'll sort through them, Alina. There's no, don't worry about it. And I'll put the answers on the screen for Dr. Bickman to select. But before I, we get to that, there's a few questions about the shake that I want Dr. Bickman to address while you answer it. So uh, Jody says, what about maltodextrin and dextrin in the health coach shake? Yep. Yep. Good question. Yeah. So these are both uh, resistant starches. So their maltodextrin can come in multiple forms. The one we're using is uh, a resistant maltodextrin, which means it cannot be digested. So it ends up being a prebiotic fiber, the same with the dextrin. And those are actually used as the carrier for the some of the oils. So um, part of the magic of all these powdered um, fat shakes nowadays is that it's this technology where you mesalize an oil. Basically, you take what is a liquid and you spray it at a very high pressure onto fiber and then it stays coated onto the fiber. So fiber is kind of the carrier of, of, um, of our oil, of our fats, the coconut oil, the even the apple cider vinegar actually is sprayed onto a fiber backbone. So those are both resistant starches that do not get digested. They don't provide any glucose into the body. They do, um, however, um, f provide energy to um, some of the gut bacteria, the good gut bacteria. That's why it's, they're considered a prebiotic. Is it available in Canada? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's hard to get to Canada because Canada has higher shipping costs, but it is available. So shipping is available to Canada. Are they kosher or halal? Oh, they're not. No. In fact, I, I have a long history. My family, the Bickman side is Jewish. We're the kind of Christian offshoot, so we get teased by our Jewish cousins. But um, yeah, I, I, we, I wish we could have done it kosher. That's something that would have been very personal for me and some of my family, but we, we didn't go that route. Is it sugar and gluten-free? Um, uh, well, there are no, um, yeah, so it is sugar-free. There are some natural sugars in the form of about one gram or so of lactose, um, which is technically a sugar. Um, but no, there's no added sugar and the sweeteners are natural and, and it is gluten-free. If you're allergic to milk, would you avoid it? Um, it is whey. Um, but interestingly, so if someone has, uh, if they know they're allergic to whey, then don't, av then then avoid it because whey is one of one of the proteins. But um, I'm amazed at how many people think they can't eat whey, and that's just because they've only eaten whey alone in a shake where it's just 
pure whey powder. Which is very insulogenic, isn't it? It is, and it's hard to digest because we aren't meant... Uh, when, when you just load the intestines, and I touched on this a moment ago, I'll briefly elaborate on it. When you load the intestines with pure protein, you are forcing these um, proteolytic enzymes to work much harder than they are able to. But when you have the bile acids that come into the intestines when you eat fat at the same time, fat these bile acids actually accelerate or, or facilitate the actions of the proteolytic enzymes. So bile, as much as we think of bile only being relevant to fat digestion, is very relevant to protein digestion. Not because it's directly digesting the proteins, but it's enhancing, it's improving the capability of the proteolytic enzymes to do their job. So my point being, a lot of people who think they're whey sensitive aren't. They just need a little help. And so just eat the whey with fat and you'll be amazed at how much easier it is to digest. That's fascinating. Another benefit of bile. I mean, that... Yeah. Well, and, and Ben, it's another testament to just how nature is. In nature, all of the best proteins come with fat, no exception, because the best proteins are animal proteins and they always come with fat. That's how we should eat protein. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so let's get some winners here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull some comments on the screen, Ben, and you're going to see it in the bottom. And as soon as you see one that's like a winner, you, you let me know. You're going to be the person okay. to choose. So I'm the professor. Time to give out the grades. Here's the time to give out the grades. So uh, let me start from the top here. Okay, here we go. Uh, Tina says, the organs in the body no longer respond to insulin. Insulin resistance is diabetic. Uh, okay, so Tina, okay, so Ben, Tina's answer is 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 perfect now that is a perfect definition of insulin resistance from the level of the cell but for astute students if they've heard me in the past i always say there are two foundations to insulin resistance and this is one of them so i, I have to give tina credit here okay um and and so we'll say that's the right answer i just i'm wondering if anyone else can remember the second part now from the cell's perspective tina nailed it there's compromised insulin um, effect or insulin signaling. Um, but they're in the body, as the body is insulin resistant, there's one. There's something else that's happening. So okay. there, there are two things. So we have a winner. That's one winner. Tina. Absolutely. Okay, Tina. Nice job, Tina. Who's a VIP or she's probably going to ask you a question soon. Congratulations, Good. Tina. Email us, support at ketocamp.com. Shipping address. And then we'll forward that to Dr. Bickman's team. So congratulations, Tina. Everybody congratulate, Tina. Um, okay, then we have... Stress causes it in bad fat. We have metabolic That's the origins, but that's so, not what insulin resistance okay. is. All right, I'm going to keep going. There's a few. A metabolic syndrome, insulin stores fat, um, bad oils, which are tragedies to our body. It's no, you guys remember, we want to define insulin resistance, yeah. right? We don't, we don't, uh, we're not discussing the origins, where it comes from, but what is it? Cellular inflammation that doesn't allow the cells to behave correctly. <laughs> that would cause insulin resistance. Uh, insulin resistance prevents the body from burning fat. It's also known as metabolic. That's true, insulin. but that's not the answer. And that's two sentences. We said one. Yeah, yeah, Karen, don't be sneaky. <laughs> and then we have the body's reaction to the types of food we consume. Uh, Becky says the insulin resistance is the body's inability to metabolically to be metabolically healthy. That's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. I'm. Um, that's true. Uh, but that's not how I. That's not how I want it defined. 
Okay, so keep going. Yeah, okay. yeah, but I don't want to run out of comments. So Becky's kind of maybe we'll come back to that because okay. that's an interesting way of defining it, but it's not how the professor wants it defined. Good job, it. Becky. Becky's awesome. Uh, insulin resistance is the devil for your body. <laughs> clean your food, clean your body. Yeah, I guess that's true. And Kathy's just going for extra credit, trying to ingratiate <laughs> herself. Uh, Mandy says insulin resistance makes the cells of the body resistant to insulin and causes fat gain. So that's that's true. That's just like Tina's answer. Um, that first part of it, which is that the body isn't res the cells of the body aren't responding to insulin. That's a, that's a very good answer. Um, so Mandy, I just want to see. I don't want to rob someone else, Ben. You guys. Um, listening, just remember, there's two parts to it in the body. There are two things that always come together. One is compromised insulin, insulin signaling, but then there's something else about insulin itself in okay. the body. So there's a second aspect, and these two things always come together in, in insulin resistance. And I'll give you a hint. It's one of the causes of insulin resistance. It's one of the primary causes that I mentioned. Everyone's talking about inflammation. Everyone's talking about stress. There was that other one, and it must be present at high levels in insulin resistance in the body. If that is gone, there's no such thing as insulin resistance in the body. Okay. Insulin resistance is not only the bully of your liver. It really messes with your hormones. That's true, but not the answer. <laughs> uh, Jilly says eating too many carbohydrates can cause your body to be insulin resistant. Um, shoot, I lost where I went. Here we go. Um, for, Beth says, for me, elevated stress and bad oils, which raise insulin. Now, Beth, the last, the last part of what you've just said in that answer is, um, is relevant. I wonder if, I, uh, so you guys remember, so, so, so far we've had some people have one accurate definition where they say insulin's not working well at the cells. That's true. But there's another aspect of it that's happening in the body at the same time as insulin resistance. So if we have insulin resistance, we have compromised insulin signaling, and something else is going on in the blood. Always, always, always. Insulin resistance locks the glucose into fat storage, says Bobby. That's yeah, true. Trish says, your body's inability to use insulin due to chronic overuse. That leads Okay, okay, Trish. Now, Ben, what do we think Trish means by chronic overuse? Because she could have nailed it. I think she means elevated glucose. Yeah, so if, so elevated if she's if this is elevated insulin glucose then that's the other part of it. So okay. insulin resist okay, so then let's say so Trish has got it. That's the right answer and then who also just said it a bit ago Tina had said it and then someone a couple back. There was Be Becky says that she said this. Um I don't know if it was Becky. No, it was someone else right after Becky. Was it Mandy? Who had a better one. Yep, that was it. Those are the three. Okay, okay. So you guys, insulin resistance is compromised insulin signaling and a state of chronically elevated insulin. That is, you cannot have one without the other. So, in, and Ben, you just mentioned elevated glucose sometimes, but insulin resistance is elevated insulin and normal glucose. That's why it's mm, so missed. Right. It's so it's often missed clinically because we only ever look at the glucose. And if we looked at the insulin, we detected it's been a lot higher for a lot longer. So insulin isn't working and chronically elevated insulin. That is the de definition of insulin resistance. There you go. Um, so the three winners are Tina. Uh, I forget the other ones. Did you write it down, Alina? Well, Trisha. Trish is another one. And then there was, there was um, Mandy. So three winners, email us, support at ketocamp.com. Put your shipping address. We'll get that out to you. Uh, and that was fun. Congratulations. Now, if you want to get his, his products, 
you could definitely buy it. Um, it's available in the US and now Canada. If you go to ketocampshake.com and use, they gave us an awesome coupon code for 15% off, which is just ketocamp at checkout, no space in between. Alina will drop that in the notes or in the live stream chat. So ketocampshake.com, get it. They taste pretty good as well. Um, ben, what do you what do you usually mix it with? What do you how do you, how do you make yeah. your shake? Yeah, I make it, I mix it with uh, about eight, six to eight ounces of water. Six to eight. Oh, so you use water? You don't even use like a coconut? Uh, I do. Uh, no, I, no, but I know others who do. Um, but Ben, also, we do ship worldwide. Um, oh, you do. We have oh, worldwide okay. shipping. We just can't ship to the UK. Unfortunately, so we had to close shipping off. They have incredibly restrictive shipping. Um, and in Australia, we have a local distributor. So that would just be gethealth.com.au. And, and any Australians can just buy it right through them. Awesome. That's good to know. Okay, we're running out of time here. I want to get to the VIP Q&A. So we have, um, I see Tina in the back end studio and Betty. If you want to come on, give me a thumbs up, Tina and Betty. So, okay, so I'm going to go Tina and then Betty. They have a question for you, Dr. Big. Ben, you've got such a well-run operation. I bet all of your members and users here um, know that. But I have been on a lot of podcasts, and this is probably the cleanest and most well-run interactive version I've ever been on. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you to Alina. She's a big part yeah, of Yeah, good job, there. Alina. This is so well done. Okay, so thank you for that, Dr. Bickman. Here is Tina. Hey, Tina. Hello. Hey, Tina, you look familiar. Yes, it's nice to see you again. Good to Dr. see you Bickman. too. My question is, I have a somewhat geeky question. Okay. I'm working on becoming a health coach through both the uh, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, but also through the Society of Metabolic, Mo Metabolic Health um, Pathway Using Nutrition Network. And as you may know, that's based in South Africa in this Tim's Noakes Foundation. So I've been listening to a lot of lectures by Dr. Noakes, and he makes the case that the defining characteristic of type 2 diabetes is when liver um, fat starts to accumulate in the liver, it's no longer responding to insulin, and therefore glucagon keeps pushing out glucose, and gluconeogenesis keeps going even after mm. you eat a carbohydrate. Is that concordant with your position that insulin resistance starts at the fat cell? No, no, okay. it doesn't. So with, I got very confused with an now, now, but but no, this is something that's debated, and this uh -huh. is a live. So I literally just finished teaching this part of my insulin resistance lectures to my students here, and I mentioned four organs where that are potential. Um, initiators of insulin resistance fat cells liver cells muscle cells and the alpha cells of the pancreas and you mentioned glucagon mm -hmm. and that's the mm -hmm. alpha cell right the problem with the definition that you mentioned which is kind of a liver first is that you have to have the initial insult at the liver and what is it often people will say well it's f f like advocates of the muscle first perspective will they'll say well the muscle gets inundated with free fatty acids well, and, and even though the liver may get inundated or the liver has inflammation, but those all start from the fat cell. But, 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 but even if someone says, Ben, you're wrong, it's the liver, I'll say you're wrong, it's the fat cell, and we'll each refer to our, our respective data sets. Mm -hmm. So you have to just know this is debated. It's, it. This is actively discussed. 
I vehemently support the fat-first paradigm because as the fat cell hypertrophies, it starts leaking free fatty acids and pro-inflammatory cytokines, and that is the perfect ingredients to cause insulin resistance in the liver and the muscle and the alpha cells of the pancreas, which is increasing glucagon. Thank you. I got... I, I ended up having to take the quiz on this one like three times because I kept getting it wrong. Yeah. Because I kept thinking about, no, I just not. Now, he did present some, you know, scientific literature, some peer-reviewed papers yep. showing that. But I finally just said, had to say, okay, well, that is a mechanism. I'm just going to go with it just so I can get through yep. the course. So thank you yep. very much. Yep. That so in fact, fantastic. I'll sum it up this way. I believe insulin resistance starts in the fat cell. And then once the insulin resistance has moved to the pancreas, the muscle, and the liver, now you're getting, now what you're called, what's, you flipped the switch. And now you're going from pre-diabetes or insulin resistance into type 2 diabetes. In fact, when we get done, if you've got a free 40 minutes, go to a web browser and type in Bickman flipping the switch. Oh, and I gave okay. a, I have, there's some talk on YouTube that I gave at a conference where I discussed this exact progression. Oh, I will watch that. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you again. Yeah, great, great question, Tina. Tina is a, a student. She's studying very, very often. I love that question and great answer as well. Next, we have, um, I think Betty signed off, so I don't see her in the back end studio, but Allie, do you want to come and ask Dr. Bickman a question? She does. Um, I think she's going to ask you, I hope, about the stevia and insulin. So here's, okay. here's Allie. Hey, Allie. Hi. Hey, yeah, Allie. I'll ask the stevia question, and then I have another bigger one. But so my question on stevia, nice to meet you. I've, I, I'm was introduced to both of you through Dr. Mindy Peltz. Um, I was Isn't Mindy just such a character? She is. She the is, two times, she, I adore her. She's, she's so great. funny. She's yeah, so much she, energy. I just adore her. Yeah, she and she's she's totally saved me in, in my journey. Um, but my questions for you are more for my husband's journey. But on the stevia, I have read almost everyone in this health space says that stevia is a fine replacement in moderation. But I read in Dr. Fung's book that he says it's just as processed as the other, say, sucralose, and that it, even though it doesn't raise your blood sugar, it raises your insulin. Hmm. And so should we be using stevia? And and how do you check your insulin? If, if I can check my blood sugar, but I can't necessarily, because you say your blood sugar is, is low, but your insulin is high. How do we track that? Yep. Oh my gosh. Uh, you are, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it's insulin is not easy to measure. You have to get a blood test. You just have to go to the doctor and say, please measure my insulin. Now, however, having said that, ketones are an inverse indicator of insulin because if ketone, if insulin is low, ketones will be high. So if your husband, for example, is in ketosis, his insulin is low. There's just no way around it. You can't be in ketosis unless insulin is low. Now, with regards to stevia, I have an enormous respect for Jason, and we're speaking at a meeting in just a few weeks, and I can't wait to see him. He is awesome. Um, stevia does not raise insulin. Now, having said that, often stevia products, like if you have a little like shaker pack of stevia and you're going to rip it open and pour that in your coffee or something, it will have a flowing agent or a filler and that's dextrose. It's literally pure glucose. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. So someone's getting that stevia because they don't want the insulin spike, and yet they're getting one not because of the stevia, which does nothing to insulin at all, none, um, no effect, but they're getting all that pure glucose. The powder um, is like that it's coming out. There's a little bit of stevia in there, but then the rest of it is just this filler or flowing agent, and that's just pure dextrose. 
pure glucose. I don't mean resistant dextrose, but pure glucose, and that will increase your your insulin. So if if someone's using stevia in their in in to add to whatever. I would say try to get a, a a liquid version of it where it's just going to be the stevia and there won't be any filler or flow agents that have been added. Okay. So my husband is, he was diagnosed uh, with diabetes about 10 years ago. He thinks he's a type one. I'm convinced he's a type two because if I help him really hard manage his diet, his pancreas still, he still produces the insulin to bring the the blood sugar down. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not overweight, but he's got so much inflammation. And when I try to get him to do keto and fasting, he says, well, my doctor says I can't do that because I'm diabetic. Um, mm. What would your, what would your advice be? And how do you tell if somebody's truly, you know, he doesn't fit the model of a type two, because like I said, he's not overweight. He's, uh, he's, you know, otherwise healthy minus all this inflammation, the joint pain and all of that other stuff. Yeah. It just screams. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, if, if he's had an insulin test and he has insulin levels in a normal or even elevated range, then he's not a type one diabetic. That's an easy way to just throw that out immediately. And that test is the A1C or is that no, the no, that's, no, no, that's an insulin test. Insulin test. Just okay. an insulin test. It doesn't have any other name. It's just doc measure the insulin, please. Um, uh, but inflammation is a cause. If your husband has a, f- a primary um, disorder or an inflammatory condition, like some kind of rheumatoid arthritis, for example, or something similar, where it's an inflammation at the joints or inflammation anywhere, that will cause insulin resistance very, very well. It is a primary cause in its own right, independent of any other variable capable of causing insulin resistance. You're the first one that said that. Thank you. Well, it's absolutely fact. I've done, I've literally done those kinds of experiments myself. Great question, Allie. Thank you for that. We, uh, that question was great about the uh, stevia as well. Your answer was great. Good to know about that. Um, do you have time for a couple more questions here? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, okay. let's wrap them up. Let's, um, her- uh, Betty left again. Let's, Harriet, do you want to come on and ask? Ben, Man, Betty's being such a tease. Come on, I Betty. Know. I feel like I'm dating again. I keep getting stood up. <laughs> Harriet, give me a physical thumbs up if you want to come on here. Okay, she does. Here we go. Um, well, I, I'm going to digest the insulin resistance um, information. So I, I don't really have too many questions because i got to read over my notes. Um, the huh. thing that I did clarify for myself, the lineolinic acid linolenic um Lino, yeah linolenic mm-hmm. linolenic okay so i know which the oils are you know the uh seed oils canola uh safflower etc is that what that means yeah that's a, that's a good question yeah what a great question so um the those seed oils that you just mentioned soybean corn oil etc those those are the oil and then Within the oil, there's going to be a range of different types of fats. Linoleic acid is the one that is the most dominant fat in those oils. So linoleic acid is a type of fat that's coming in what we call soybean oil or corn oil, etc. Okay, got it. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. Great question. Uh, Your discussion was wonderful. Thank you you so much. Yeah, say say hi to your mom for me. (laughs) <laughs> or whoever that is. <laughs> Thank you, Harriet. 
Sorry, I, I, so I want to get to a couple more post questions here. So, uh, Jen Irwin says, my question for tomorrow is regarding blood work. So today, I have been keyed on a few months. I remember Dr. Bickman saying that you should have carbs for a day or two before blood work, so they don't, so they won't say you're insulin resistant. How does he or Ben recommend doing that? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. So that that there's, I I see the truth here and the and the error. So. If you, what I said was if someone has to take an oral glucose tolerance test, then you need to prime the pump and remind the pancreas um, how to secrete a lot of insulin very quickly. Because if you've been adhering to a low-carb ketogenic diet for a while, your pancreas has been producing so little insulin, that it, which is not a bad thing at all. It just slows down, or technically, it just starts, it holds on to less preformed insulin. So the pancreas will have a bunch of insulin that's already made and it's just holding in reserve to dump out immediately. And then it will make its own in real time when you've eaten carbs. So there's two phases of insulin release, the preformed insulin and then the newly made insulin. And if you haven't um, reminded the pancreas to have insulin on hand ahead of time, if you were to go in and drink your glucose solution uh, as an oral glucose tolerance test, you wouldn't have that first phase of insulin. And so you'd only have that second phase, which would mean that overall your glucose is going to go higher and stay higher longer than it would otherwise. You may be a perfectly insulin-sensitive person. It's just that you've lost the first phase of insulin release, which happens very quickly. Anyone who even fasts for a day loses that first phase of insulin. So it's not like this is something unique to a low-carb diet. Um, but it is unique to not eating carbs for a time. So if you have to go in and take an oral glucose tolerance test the next morning, make sure you eat some carbs the night before. And then, But she, if you don't have to take the oral glucose tolerance test, then there's no reason to. Yeah, great. Great answer. She also said, I have a heart stress and echo test next week. Is there a, a recommendation how she should eat for that? No. no. No, it wouldn't matter. Keep doing what she's doing. Okay. Last question here, Ben, is posted in the VIP community tab. Um, is algae oil okay? What do you think about algae oil? Yeah, so algae oil is – I cannot – I do not know the specific composition of fatty acids. I know that vegans will use algae oil in order to get essential uh, omega-3 fats because you cannot get them from – uh, plant sources. So algae oil is kind of the vegan way to overcome the absence of essential fatty acids. So that's all I know is that algae oil is used to provide essential fats. If, however, you're eating any animal products whatsoever, they are, it is totally unnecessary. Where's the best place for everybody to go check you out besides, you know, getting the shake? We have a link there, but where can they go check you out? Yeah, yeah. Thanks again, Ben. This is always so great. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media. I try to do a video or two a week. Maybe I, my Friends tell me I should do them more often, but I just can't bring myself to do it. But I'm mostly active on Instagram, and people can find me there at Ben Bickman, B-I-K-M-A-N, no C, Ben Bickman, Ph.D. And then and go, go get my book, Why We Get Sick, uh, available for sale anywhere books are sold. We'll put a link for his Instagram, Alina, put a link for his Instagram and his book, Why We Get Sick. Dr. Bickman, it's an honor to have a fifth interview with you in the books. You're a, I'm looking forward to number six already, Ben. Uh, me too, man. Where, where are you seeing Dr. Fung at? What are, what are, what yeah, it's a, it's a conference in Austin, Texas called Hormones and Beyond. That's a cool name. Awesome. Yeah, well, it'll be great. Yeah, Jason's, I think he's doing four lectures. I'm doing two and he's doing four. So he's kind of the headliner, rightly so. Wow. Uh, that's going to be great. Tell him I said hello and have a great time. Can't wait to see you in person and just keep doing what you're doing. You can feel free to exit out the browser. I'm going to continue the stream. But awesome. I, I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Dr. Bickman. Yep, yep. Feelings mutual. Thanks so much, Ben.
I hope you enjoyed that fun, amazing conversation with Dr. Ben Bickman. We mentioned his product, Health Code, and you could get a bag or two or several more bags of their product by heading to KetoCampShake.com and using KetoCamp at checkout. Camp with a K, no space in between. KetoCamp at checkout for 15% off. We will also drop a link down below if you want to get some of their awesome products. If you want to listen to previous episodes we've done with Dr. Benjamin Bickman, we have episodes. We'll, all, we'll reference all of those down below in the podcast notes. Episode 267 of the Keto Camp Podcast, 259, 141, episode 54, and episode 13. So go listen to all of those. If you haven't done so, we'll put a link for all of those down below. Reminder to get registered for our free upcoming seven-day Keto Challenge It's going to be amazing, life-changing. Join with your friends and your family and your colleagues. Let's get everybody enrolled. Head to KetoCampChallenge.com. And then be sure to go check out all of Dr. Benjamin Bickman's social media, his website. We're going to put all that down below in the notes of this podcast. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next episode, which is coming up on Friday with Tara Garrison, all about her new book, Short-Term Keto. You're going to want to listen to that episode. It was a lot of fun. If If you're new to the Keto Camp podcast, please hit subscribe. We release new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. See you in the next episode. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.